our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by Sim and with me is probably the most craziest guest I could ever imagine coming on our podcast. Guys, we have the Lily Singh with us here in studio and I absolutely am pinching myself, screaming, crying, stressing. I cannot believe that she is here with us. Now, Lily Singh needs no introduction, but I think it's always good just to mention a few accolades because, oh my goodness, for those that may not know, Lily Singh is an award-winning Canadian comedian, YouTuber, New York Times bestselling author. She's had her own NBC late night show, over 1.4 million subscribers on YouTube and over 3 billion views. In 2017, Forbes ranked Lily the 10th world's highest paid YouTuber and in 2019, one of the most powerful people in comedy, again by Forbes. Lily is a UNICEF Goodwill's ambassador. She has done outstanding work. She's got a TED talk. I mean, what has she not done. But that wasn't enough for Lily. And so now we are here to celebrate the release of her Unicorn Island Fund, a nonprofit. And I'm just so in awe of everything that she has to say about her money story, her money history, and about what getting into the nonprofit world means for her. Let's get into it. First of all, Lily, thank you so much for joining me. Of course, I'm thrilled to be here. We're very excited to have you. One of the things that our community keeps asking is, how do we make impactful change with our money? How do we put our money into good use? And so you've done some pretty exciting stuff recently. One of them has been launching your nonprofit, the Unicorn Island Fund. It has created waves. You've already had six figures in money that has come in and that's been quite a recent accomplishment. So we're very amazed. I think, you know, it goes without saying that you should be very proud of yourself. This is such a feel good. I already feel great about myself. This is like, oh my God, good. what a supportive podcast. Thank you. This is what we do. <laughs> we talk about money and we feel good. Yes. I love these two things. <laughs> but one of the things that people have asked is, you know, sometimes the jargon holds them back. And so some people have heard the term Unicorn Island Fund and they've wondered, what does that mean? So do you mind just explaining what a nonprofit is and kind sure. of what you do? Yeah. So Unicorn Island Fund, first, let me explain the name because a lot of people are like, Unicorn Island what? It sounds very childish. I, I know that. I'm very self-aware. Unicorn Island is a term I coined years ago where I just spontaneously was telling a story to my audience. And I said, I'm going to go to my happy place called Unicorn Island. 
And it really stuck with them. And they were like, wait, what is Unicorn Island? I want to go. And so for me, it's a synonym for people's happy place. And I believe that this world would be a happier place if more people, if it was a more equitable place, if more people were able to have access to opportunities, if more people were able to have access to education, if more people were able to fill, reach their fullest potential. And so Unicorn Island Fund is my new nonprofit dedicated towards helping girls specifically reach their fullest potential. Now, what does that actually mean? Get access to education, get help developing life skills that are important and, and access opportunities in places around the world. And my work is going to start in India because it's part of my heritage and passion about it. That is amazing. And I just want to take a moment to say the term Unicorn Island Fund is not childish whatsoever. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, we're called Girls That Invest and yes. it's very pink and girly mm-hmm. and people will go, why? Like, why do you want to associate these colorful things with the finance world? And to me, it's like, why not? That's exactly correct, actually. Thank you for saying that, because I feel like my company has been called Unicorn Island for so long. The production end of it is called Unicorn Island Productions. The social impact part of it, philanthropic part is called Unicorn Island Fund. And I think people do kind of go, oh, this is really fun. And I would love to teach people that giving back should be fun and making content that matters and stories that change the world. It can be fun. I think often we think of advocacy or philanthropic work as it's very draining and it's very serious and you have to know a lot. No, I think we should definitely make it more accessible. So Unicorn Island Fund is exactly that. Our logo is a palm tree. We believe in unicorns. We believe in magic and we believe in making the world a better place. So I wanted to take a step back into like Lily when she was younger and I wanted to speak a little bit about money and energy because we really believe that you know money is energy and it can have a lot of impact in that way. There's this thing called your money story or your money history, which is you know, the way that you've grown up, the way the people around you or maybe your childhood has affected the way that you look mm-hmm. at money. And so I did want to ask, did you grow up feeling like money was something that was evil or money was something that was, you know, selfish? Or did you grow up viewing it as something that can create change? That's a really great question. You know, I think there's a lot of things in my childhood up until recently where I have associated them with negativity And mostly because they're subjects that are considered taboo or you're not allowed to talk about, right? So whether it's mental health in a South Asian family as well, money, sometimes it can be family politics. All of those things are things I grew up thinking are not supposed to be talked about and are evil. Money's high on that list because when I think about money as a child, I think about me being taught to not ever reveal things about money. Don't talk about how really what your parents do or how much your parents do. Don't talk about, you know, especially when your parents are immigrants from India, there's so much conflict around money that's in India back home and oh land and property. The and uncle's any, property exactly, and land any, disputes. Any <laughs> listening to this right now, I'm sure you can relate to a family party where Daisy's are talking about land back home and property and this and that. And so it was always, first of all, always very masculine. I never really heard women talk about money and it was associated with drama and politics and I will even say beyond childhood as I moved into adulthood and I moved to LA and I got more into the entertainment business that didn't really change you know I remember in my life when I had the honor and it was a cool thing for me when I was selected as a 30 under 30 I remember it was really awkward for a lot of my friends and family to talk to me about that and it was I remember even getting a message saying hey congrats on this it's like really awkward and I don't really talk about it but like I guess congrats money's weird and I was like oh thank you (laughs) but I think people have this it's it's like a personal thing that shouldn't be discussed but I think that's really dangerous I think that's what holds a lot of people back from really stepping into their financial power so but definitely growing up and even now I have to like constantly remind myself I know money doesn't have to be evil 
it's interesting that you have that. First of all, what a message. What a message to send someone. <laughs> hey, congrats. That's kind of weird. Yeah. And people and a lot of my childhood friends have that kind of reaction where it's like, I know you make money a little bit. I don't know how to have this conversation with you about certain things. It's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's just a product of the culture of us being so awkward. But what a world we would live in. And I actually have a rant about this on my late night show where I say, how lovely it would be if we knew how much everyone else was making so we could make informed choices and be treated fairly, especially coming from the late night space. You know, that's a real thing. Yes. <laughs> that's really interesting. I think a lot of South Asians, but also just people of like any immigrant immigrant culture, mm-hmm. we have that idea, right? You know, you're right. It's so it's like in the topic of taboo things, you don't talk about sex, you don't right. talk about relationships, and then money is like also up there. Mm-hmm. When it comes to your money mindset from when you were younger, do you feel like it's changed as you've gotten older? Yes. And I think only as of recently, honestly, I'm 34 years old. I just turned 34. And I think up until three or four years ago, I probably still associated money a little bit to some percent as a little icky, as a little bit like, I don't really know how to talk about this. It's awkward. I don't want to bring it up. I think over the past three to four years, I have really learned that actually And it's because I've been in rooms with women who have been really inspiring and really bawling and have used their money for good and have have made such a mark in the industries they're in where I was like, actually, you know what? I've actually know a lot of people now that use money for really great things or have made really great change because of money or have done great things for their families and communities. I don't think it's in anyone's benefit to shy away from that. So I've just learned I've been in really cool rooms. I've met really cool women. And I think the culture is just changing. I think with podcasts like this and women like you, I think an important conversation is finally underway. And I think that's why. But I will fully admit that up until the age of like 30, I still was probably a little bit weird with money. First of all, thank you for being honest. I think that's important. It goes to show a lot of us have a very similar trajectory where we go, money's bad, money's evil. And then it turns into, wait, I'm seeing people do good with it. Maybe it's not so bad. Maybe it's the people that affect how they use the money it's also going back to your childhood and your parents are there any good money habits that your parents did that you still hold on to or bad I mean there's good and bad there's <laughs> everything is a double-edged sword it is good and bad I will say that my parents are quite money savvy you know they're great at investments having said that my dad and if he's listening to this he's gonna yell at me but my dad is he believes the only good investment is real estate. He's that he's that desi uncle that's real estate. And so he always encourages me to invest in that one way. I have really diversified my portfolio in terms of investment. Sometimes he doesn't completely understand that. But I also believe in investing in private companies and organizations and causes where that may never come back, but it deserves an investment. That is not something I think my, my dad would ever be okay with. So in terms of just investing money. My dad has always taught me that. I have learned how to diversify that. But also at the same time, I still really like, here's a stupid, stupid example. I'm 34 years old. I live in my own house. I refuse to use my dishwasher (laughs) just because my parents have taught me my whole life. Like you're wasting water. It's a waste of time and energy. Like there's certain things I still try to get discounts no matter where I go. I just have vivid memories of my parents just being the best hagglers ever when we would buy anything. And so no matter how well off I am in my it's funny, I work with any brand that will pay me tons of money and I'll be like, but do I get a free t-shirt? Like, I want the free something because it's ingrained in me. To like, You were at my event a few hours ago, actually, 
And I made sure there was free gifts for people because I'm like, everybody likes free things. I know this. So there's definitely some habits. And also I think also the importance of cash. My parents also believe in gold. I think this is an Indian thing as well. The importance of gold. Uh, that has not rubbed off me on me so much. But my mom constantly yells at me about it. So you don't invest in gold? By I don't. Yeah. It's not for not you? Not really. No. It's, no. Fair enough. It's just a lot of work, I feel. Then she has to go to her safe deposit. It's like a whole thing. I feel like we all live the same lives yeah. when it comes to that. Like, I still recall my mum being like, okay, simmer and hush. And she'll like close the yes, like blinds. Exactly. And she's like, this is the gold stash that we have. And I would. I wouldn't understand at the time. I'm like, why is this so secretive? For them and their generation, they still understood investing. That was like their emergency fund. That was Absolutely. their way of investing in Absolutely. gold. Yes. But yeah, they were onto it before we were. I'm also going to actually pick up on one other thing you said, just because I think it's important, which is another reason why I was so scared of money up until 30, and this is just me being really, really honest, is I moved to LA when, in 2015. I started in an industry that I didn't know much about. You know, I have a degree in psychology. I'm from Toronto. I moved to LA where I was already now at a table with a bunch of people saying terms about Hollywood, saying terms about film and TV that I already didn't know. So I already felt behind. So I think I just couldn't get myself to be in a place where I, I also felt that way with money. And I think this is, a, as a woman, I think I also felt extra pressure of like, you can't be the one that doesn't know this. You cannot be in this room full of people and be the woman that doesn't know about the investing terms and doesn't know about the proper terms with money. So I think I would avoid those rooms or just pretend. And I think what I've done over the past four years is unsubscribe to that idea and give myself permission to actually be like, I don't understand that. Can you explain that to me? Or I don't get this at all. And I think that's something that women absolutely have to do. It's not be afraid to ask those questions. I still can sit here and tell you, I don't know every in and out detail of red tape involved in, in a nonprofit, but I have a team member who does and who is an expert at it. And so now my job is not to be as smart as her. It is to learn from her, ask the dumb questions and put that person in place. So I always say a big part of being smart with money is sometimes being the dumbest person in the room and being okay with that. You know, I... I'm not in a place anymore where I feel like I need to know more than anyone else. Instead, what makes me a smart leader is having other people in the room that are experts at what they do so I can learn from them. So I ask the dumb questions all the time now. I talk to my financial manager at least once a week and I go, hey, the, everyone keeps using this acronym. What is this? What does this mean? How, and I am comfortable doing that where I wasn't before because I felt like I had to, I had to live up to this and I couldn't be the woman that asked that question. But no. I think we absolutely can be. And how did it feel asking those questions? Because initially, I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, what does that mean? But I look so silly to ask. How did you get that almost confidence to be like, hey, can you say that again, but say it in a way that I can understand? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it has a lot to do with focusing on your purpose and mission. For example, with Unicorn Island Fund, my purpose and mission is to use my superpower of storytelling to help girls around the world. That is the mission. So my mission is not to look smart in rooms. My mission is not to know the most about money. It's not to know the red tape of anything. So if you keep that mission in mind, I would be going against my mission not asking that question. So I always remind myself of that. When I'm in a conversation in a room and someone is saying something to me and I feel the pressure, like I don't know what they're talking about, but I feel embarrassed asking, I remind myself, actually, what is my purpose in this room? It is to tap into my superpower to help these girls. To do that, I need this information. So I'm going to ask you this question that may be perceived as dumb because I have my mission in my mind. I love that. I find it so empowering to be that person that asks, hey, what does that mean? Because to be honest, sometimes they don't know. And sometimes mm -hmm. they're like, oh, 
Actually, I have a general rule of thumb, and I'm just gonna be real here. I'm gonna look right <laughs> into the camera and say this. I feel like most people don't know what anyone's talking about. Can I just say that? Absolutely. I feel like in a room, when you're thinking of like, I don't know what that means. I bet you most people in that room don't know what it means. I just feel like we all need to just be cash and just ask the questions. And then you seem like the smartest person in the room because everyone's like, oh my God, she was brave enough to ask. Mm -hmm. And we we weren't smart enough to ask. We have to learn about money. We cannot let this feeling of looking silly or feeling a certain way get in the way because that is actually what would make us silly. The dumb thing is to not ask the question. It is not to ask. The dumb thing is to not ask question. Yeah. Well, you are just spitting facts in this episode. These are all very tweetable things, I feel like. Right? One-liners. Oh, I love it. We'll send them all to you. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have had an amazing career trajectory, not just for a woman of color, but just as a human being. Yeah. It has been fantastic to watch. There is that, you know, age-old ancient saying, more money, more problems. <laughs> Do you have any career advice or any advice that you've been given about money when it comes to your career that has just really helped? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people who have gave me really great advice, but I always think of this one example for two reasons. One, so I can flex that I know him. It's Dwayne Johnson. And two, because it actually was really good advice. There was a moment in my life when I moved to LA and started in the entertainment industry. And I'm sure this is true across many industries where once you start making more money, there's more people with their hand there to be like, I need a cut of this money. And I had a really hard time with that, especially coming up on YouTube because I did so much of that myself. I was in Toronto in my parents' house recording my, my own videos, editing my own videos, writing them. And then I moved to LA and my career got bigger. And suddenly there was a bunch of people saying, now we need a percentage of the things you do. And that was really tough for me because I was like, what? Why? What? Huh? And I remember asking him about this. I was like, I feel like there's a lot of people, agents and managers, and I'm like, what's the, even the difference? And there's lawyers, all these people. And I was like, they all want to cut. And I felt, I felt taken advantage of. And he said something to me that was really great. He said, which thing is completely normal. But what I want you to remember is when it comes to money and when it comes to a team and building a team and being a leader, the more people you give a cut of the pie, the bigger that pie will get for everyone. And I never forgot that. And I've actually given this advice to many other people that ask me about money as well. And that is, I think, rightfully so, we have a fear sometimes of being taken advantage of. And it's because we feel so not confident with money. And perhaps my parents have instilled me with that as well, of like, people always try to take advantage of you. You have to be careful. That is absolutely true in some situations. But I think when it comes to business and when it comes to empowering people to tap into their superpowers... I think absolutely you should give people a piece of the pie when appropriate so that the pie can be bigger. I think together we are stronger. And it's the opposite of what I thought I would be telling people in this point of my life. But, you know, I have a team full of great people. And I believe that when everyone is empowered to be the best version. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone powered by Stripe. Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone. And the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it. From local pop-ups to global retailers, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. 
So how can tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple. Increased revenue, expanded reach, and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Themselves, everyone collectively rises together. I really do believe. That's amazing. It's almost like this sort of scarcity mindset that we have that, you know, I've done it all myself. If I give it to others, will it be less? And yet you've poured more into that. And I assume more has come out of it. Absolutely. So I guess it kind of goes back into like investing in yourself and your team, right? It's a very simple idea that we've been introduced to, but it's true. Every great thing I've done in my launching the nonprofit, for example, was because I invested in people. I gave them a piece of the pie so we could all enjoy something greater than ourselves. You know, and I think that does take a certain level of comfort financially. But I think it's important to remember because if he never told me that, I swear, I think I would have went my whole life being like, no, nobody. I don't want anyone on my team. And I probably wouldn't have accomplished a lot of things I have. This is like unlocked a memory for me because I remember you having such a crush on Dwayne The Rock Johnson. (laughs) What? (laughs) I know. Yes. No. It has since evolved into he has become a bit of a mentor. We don't talk all the time, but when I really need advice about something really, really. Another thing he helped me with changing my name from Superwoman to Lily. That was him as well. Any pivotal pivotal thing in my life, he really does have great advice. And another general rule of thumb is listen to whatever Dwayne Johnson is. <laughs> I think we all follow that. I feel like he knows what he's talking about. New Zealand's claim to fame is that he lived there for a few years mm-hmm. of his life. And we're like, he's one of us. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably not. I would do the same thing. I would claim that as well. Now, I think I might know the answer to this, but what would you say has been your biggest investment that you've made? This is an interesting question because this could go many, many, many ways. I'm going to answer a two-part answer if that's okay. The first thing is I have invested, I'm going to give you my, my favorite recent investment, which is uh, I'm a part owner of the LA Angel City. And when I was approached about it, I was like, I know nothing about soccer. I'm just going to say, I think I, because I'm a part owner, a lot of people come up to me and start talking about soccer to me. And I'm like, I'm going to be real with you. I know nothing about soccer. I go to every game and I'm like, which way are we running? That's all I need to know. Which way are we running? But the reason I invested is because I believe in all things women. And I know the team, I know LA has been wanting a women's team. I also know the team is trying to do revolutionary things in terms of how female are treated. And it's awesome to see. So humble, humble flex here. When you go to the stadium, the women's team has more season pass ticket holders than the men's team now in their first season. So things like that really mean a lot to me. And that's a perfect example of when I told my dad about it. It's like, this, I might never see this money again. I have no idea, but it's bigger than that. This is about when you go to the stadium, you see all these young girls in the stands holding up signs for their favorite female athletes. And it is unlike any other sporting event I've ever gone to. And I'm like, that is already the return of investment I wanted. So I've already, I already feel like that's amazing. My second part of answer is um, investing in myself, honestly. <laughs> and this could be twofold. This could be my production company or all the business I've built for myself, but more than anything, and maybe this is not the financially savvy answer you wanted, but it's true. My favorite investment is the investment that makes me the best version of myself. It's therapy. It is a life coach I'm going to start with. It is all the things that help me then create more revenue and more everything, to be honest, because I'm the best version of myself. I love that. And also, it kind of was the answer we're looking for. Because at the end of the day, people think that investing, it used to be so black and white. It used to be like, if I put in $100, I want $150 back. And that's a good investment. And I think, you know, what we're trying to do is say, well, there's different forms of investments. And sometimes, like you said, you may not see that money back in that sort of traditional right. sense, right. but it's that impactful change that you're making. And that's the investments that, you know, are tenfold in different ways. And You should know, I, I, 
the two parts of me, I have two parts of me, business and spiritual. And I believe they coexist. And I believe everyone, every business person, I believe in the intersection between spirituality and business. So I would also say that I really do subscribe to the idea that there's more than one way to be rich. Also, there's more than one way to be wealthy. I actually just was having this conversation in the car on the way here when one of my friends was struggling career wise. And this is a friend who is, she's a phenomenal friend and she has, oh my God, I get jealous of her because she meditates daily and she's just so healthy and smiling. And she was like, oh man, I just I'm really struggling with like, you know, the, the wealth or the, and I was like, you might be one of the richest people I know. Like, honestly, I do subscribe to the idea that more than one way to be rich. Bob Marley said that. He said, money makes you rich. I remember him saying that in an interview. But yeah, I think money is definitely important. I know this whole podcast is about money. I definitely think we should be empowered in that way. But we should never lose sight of the fact that there's more than one way to be rich. That's a great segue into the next part of the question. Am I giving you perfect transitions you, here? Oh, do you want to be here full time? Oh. Thank you. <laughs> I did want to say, you know, one of the things that comes up is being impactful with your money and there's multiple ba- ways mm-hmm. of being rich. What does that mean for you being impactful with your money? I guess you've kind of covered it already a little bit, the idea of, you know, putting your money into companies that you believe in or, you know, funds that you believe in. And for some other people, it's buying from products, products from companies that are important to them. For other people, it's, you know, investing in nonprofits. Yeah. What does that mean to you being impactful with your money? I definitely see money as a tool for not the only way to do this, but helping you leave a legacy behind. Because ultimately, money and time and energy and all other resources, what they can do is, of course, they can make your life convenient and change your life, but they can actually change the trajectory of someone else's life as well. Right? So I like to invest in people I really believe in so that they can go on and do things that I would never be able to do. I like to do this with my time and my money. I've really tried over the past couple of months for every single person who needs advice about this industry and how to get started or they're, whether they're a writer or a show or an actor, I've made it a point to be like, I'm going to have a 20 minute call with you and give you my advice. Does that mean I'm not going to be able to do the meeting and the other thing I was supposed to do? Absolutely. But that's okay. Because that for me is an investment worth making. But otherwise in terms of my money, I really just think about how far money could go in the hands of the right person. And I think that's why I'm so passionate about Unicorn Island Fund is because I I could buy a bunch of cool stuff and I could spend money on a bunch of cool stuff in my circle of friends. And that's great. And I do do that. You know, one of my favorite things to spend money on, and I fully am transparent about this, is I love to spoil my aunties and my mom and my family because what feels better than that? But then I think about, oh, my God, $10 to to someone in a rural village in India, like the impact that could make and then the impact they could make within their community. I guess the answer is, I think about how to make my money have a ripple effect and where the biggest ripple effect will be. That's because I am so passionate about legacy, you know? So I'm going to be gone at some point. And I hope there'll be a bunch of people doing amazing things, empowering their communities. I thought I, this was possible because someone somewhere gave me a chance and gave me the money or the resource, the time or the advice or whatever. Got Unicorn Island, your production mm-hmm. company. When did the sort of spinoff of it, you know, come to light? Yeah, that's a great question. So I started making YouTube, for anyone listening that is like, who is this person? I started making YouTube videos in 2010. And I, you know, gathered a following and I now am entertainment and I do acting and tell stories and all that stuff. But from the first day I uploaded my first YouTube video, 
from that day till now, one thing has remained the same, and that is the chip on my shoulder about gender equity. And I have no shame in saying that. I think everyone has a chip on their shoulder. We should embrace that chip. We should use that chip to then fight for a cause we believe in. We can't all fight for all causes, but we can fight for the cause that is the chip on our shoulder. And mine is gender equity. You know, it is not was not super easy for me being the second daughter in a Indian household. It was not always easy for me being in male-dominated rooms all the time. And so I'm really passionate about all causes surrounding gender equity. So having said that, when I started my first YouTube video, I knew I wanted that to always be part of me and my work. Had no idea how to do it. So it it showed in the form of sometimes in videos, my, my comedy was very female forward. Sometimes I would comedically talk about gender equity issues. Then as I got older, I started to do camp, social campaigns. One was called Girl Love, where it was all about women supporting women and how can we you know, change a scarcity mindset, scarcity mindset, so that women actually encourage other women to succeed. But even that wasn't moving the needle in the way I wanted it to. And so I kept trying and failing and trying and failing at figuring out how to really be impactful in this space. And it has taken truly 10 years finding the right team, spending so much of my own time and money and energy to finally launch Unicorn Island Fund. And that's what it is. It is the evolution of my social good efforts over years Because I learned that I don't just want my impact to be on socials. I don't just want my impact to be a trend. I really want to be on the ground. I really want to make something bigger than myself. And that's exactly what Unicorn Island Fund is. That is amazing. I'm glad you brought up the chip on your shoulder aspect. Because I I think you're right. We all kind of have our own chip. Mine's kind of the same. And that's really why, you know, I, I was watching a TED Talk, not to say I'm a stalker. Please stalk me. Made a little bit of a stalker. I watched <laughs> your TED Talk and you mentioned that when you were born, your family was like, your, you know, extended family or the community was kind of like a girl. Mm-hmm. And I had the exact same experience. They had a party ready and then they're like, oh, it's a girl. And they canceled the party. And ever since then, I've, you know, oldest daughter, oldest child. So I was like, interesting. And ever since then, you know, for some of us, it's something cultural. For some of us, it's maybe, you know, proving yourself to the world. But not everyone takes that ship and turns it into change or turns it into something impactful. So kudos to you. I think that's huge. What was the process like of going, I have an idea to create Unicorn Island Fund and then just actually getting it done? The process was really hard because I can open it to you right now that I still don't know everything about the nonprofit world. It is a very steep learning curve. I have people on my team that do know everything. I'm not that person. It was actually really hum- a humbling experience, to be honest, because I think going into it, you have an idea where you're like, I want to help girls, let's say specifically in an area in India, go to school. Okay. So you have to then learn everything about that issue, right? It's not as easy as, I think the thing about philanthropy and the thing about even the confusion about people that give to causes is that money is the answer to things. I know this podcast is about money. Yes and no. It is not throwing money at problems. You will learn that problems are very complex. They have to do with culture and society and and family structure and a whole bunch of things. So yes, money can be used, but you have to do the research to figure out what the solutions to the problems are. It's not just about throwing money to school. And I said this to you earlier as well, where the issue with education is not that the school doesn't exist. It's not that there's not money to build the school. The school is there. It's not that there's not a road to get to the school. The road is paved. It's about the culture of people believing girls should not go to school. How do you fix that with money? At first glance, that might seem like a really tough problem, but you fix it through 
workshops on the ground, uh, people, community leaders having resources for the men also in families, because it's not just about girls going to school. It's about changing fathers' minds. It's about brothers supporting it. It's about community leaders encouraging it. So you'll learn that the process is multifaceted. It's very humbling because you'll very quickly learn that you actually don't know a lot about what you're talking about and you have to learn it. And you also have to collaborate with a lot of other organizations that are already on the ground. And I'm very clear that Unicorn Island Fund is not trying to reinvent the wheel. I think that would be a naive pursuit. I think there's many people on the ground doing great work that know way more than me. So my goal is to not reinvent the wheel, but use my superpower to improve a few spokes on the wheel, namely around storytelling. You know, and I know we talked about this earlier, but I, I feel the need to say it. I think my superpower is storytelling. I've done it for years. I have over a thousand videos on YouTube. And most organizations from UNICEF to any brand I've worked with have always asked me for one thing, which is we have this cause, we have this mission, we need to communicate to the masses, we need to get young people involved, we need to make it more accessible. Because not that they don't know how, but they're busy doing a ton of other stuff, you know? And so I've taken their internal dialogue, I've taken their missions, and I've made them accessible to, to the masses. And so that's the superpower that I have, and that's kind of the superpower of Unicorn Island Fund, where we have a cause in mind, we want to tackle it through storytelling, through social campaigns, through telling the story to people who have a lot of money, to organizations that have money to give, and we want to raise money for the grassroots organizations that have the solutions. Now, there's this idea that the patriarchy kind of stands oh, that on old thing. that old thing, that thing. still That's around. so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> there's this idea that the patriarchy, you know, stands on financial imbalance mm -hmm. and that if we have more capital directed towards women, directed towards girls, specifically in the areas that you've been talking about today, mm -hmm. that we would, you know, maybe even the playing field a little bit, or that if the patriarchy didn't have this financial imbalance to stand on, that it wouldn't exist. What are your thoughts on that? I hate the patriarchy. Uh, that's my first thought. The second thought is that absolutely, yes, absolutely, 100 million percent, yes. There's so many studies, and I won't rat off the stats here, but there's so many studies done in all parts of the world that show if you give a dollar to a man and a dollar to a woman, they spend it very, very differently. Almost always the woman will spend it on empowering her family, which will then empower the community which will then empower a country and then the world. The ripple effect, I, I, and I always say, the greatest return on investment is investing in women because they give and their money has a, the biggest ripple effect. Absolutely. Women spend differently. Women think differently. And I think the goal is, and if this could be a conversation even about race and about ability or anything, if money is put in the hands of diversity, you have more innovative thinking, you have different thinking, there would be a lot of solutions to problems that have not been thought of yet. So absolutely, yes, 100%. I think in every finance, tech, science, in every facet of everything, we have been selling all of our potential short by putting it in the hands of one group of people. One very specific group one of people. One very specific group of people, yes. Talking about that, you know, <laughs> the nonprofit world, more than a trillion dollars has been put into it. And, and that's a number I can't wrap my head around. Like billions, I can kind of understand millions, yes. And within that, you know, 30 to 45% of CEOs within nonprofits are women. 30 if you're looking at the UK, 45 if you're looking at this side of the world. And it's even smaller for Nonprofits that have more money. There was a study that looked at the more sort of play money nonprofits have, the less likely it is a woman that is the CEO of that. So mm -hmm. when we do have women, it's like, oh, you take the little nonprofit, you take the cute one. Mm -hmm. Even the boards of nonprofits, about 90% of, you know, chair members are white men. 
Do you feel like we are doing a disservice to the people that need that money by not having the representation from the top down? I mean, yes, absolutely. It, I mean, there's also so many stats that show if you look at the greater amount of money that goes towards nonprofits and the causes, we might feel that so much of it goes towards gender equity, but it's actually a small percent compared to all the causes of the world. And hey, there's a lot of causes in the world that deserve money. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that half of the population is underserviced because half of the population is women. We know that. We know that. That's not in question. So absolutely. I think it's, like I said, you can look at any industry and it's the same. You can look at entertainment, you can look at any industry. It's the same narrative over and over again. And that's why I say that this culture, the patriarchy, whatever you want to call it, has to change because I was at a Goalkeepers the other day, which is the Gates Foundation event. And there was an author there and she said something so amazing and I loved it. And what she said was, culture is just a narrative that was created that was convenient for men. And when you think about it that way, you're like, oh, there's actually there's actually no reason <laughs> that it exists other than the convenience of one group of people. So, yes, I think, you know, so many changes need to be made. And I would be lying if I said I knew what all those changes were. But I know more than anything that a lot of it is also culture. It's one of those things where, like, I still recall seeing your announcement for the Unicorn Island Fund. And I was like, this is great because... There's been so much, you know, happening in the world of nonprofits, but very, well, not very often do we see a woman at the top of it, a woman being like, no, no, this is my fund that I am putting out to direct towards the issues and the impacts that I believe need to happen. And while we've got lots of great nonprofits out there, it's not really making that same change if it's not coming top down. It's like those, you know, memes that you see and it's like when companies are like, we want diversity and right. diversity is all at the bottom, Absolutely. but yeah. not at the top. I will also say, just for anyone listening, because I'm a pretty straight up person. Hopefully you've learned this about me now. I like to address the questions people might ask and I'm totally comfortable having those conversations. I've been talking a lot about storytelling and culture. And I think when people listening to this podcast about money, they might be like, these are abstract, fluffy terms. I'm going to tell you why I actually believe in storytelling so much. I do think it's the com when we talk about social good work, or we talk about business. It is that commodity that I feel is not given enough credit. You know, we talk about money and we talk about stats, but stories are actually what uphold culture and culture impacts money so, so much. The distribution of money, how girls are treated. The culture of being a girl is a problem in a lot of places of the world. I gave the example of the school exists, the road exists, the issue is the girl they believe that girls should not go to school. Take that issue, you can spread it across the world, the culture of how we treat girls and how girls are treated. I'll give you a really small example of this. And at the risk of it sounding Hollywoody, I'm going to tell you why I think stories are. Uh, when I started making YouTube videos in 2010, I never thought that that would have any impact financially. I never thought I would be able to provide for anyone. I just did it as a hobby and it was fun. Because so many young girls were able to see someone like me on their screens, perhaps that they couldn't see anywhere else, a lot of South Asian girls. I think humbly that I unlocked something in a lot of people where they believed they could do something because they saw me doing it. And that didn't become apparent to me until recently. Honestly, because I, I, people used to say that to me and I would think, oh, that's just fluffy. Like, what does that actually even mean? Recently, I've, and I hope they don't mind me name dropping them, but recently I've talked to two people who I've become huge fans of. One is my 30 Ramakrishnan from Never Have I Ever, revolutionary show that not only was number one in so many countries, but probably made a ton of money, probably has opened the doors for so many other people, has staffed so many South Asian actors, put money in their wallets as well. And the second is Iman, who is Miss Marvel. I think they're both so, so incredible. And I was like so happy because I was like, oh, 
the shows are full of South Asian actors that are then going to have the agency and financial power to help people in their communities. It's amazing. And I got to talk to both of them recently and both of them said the same thing to me. And it was, I first realized that I could be comedic and do this because I watched your videos growing up. And so that's what I mean by the ripple effect and the power of storytelling. And now these people will go on to empower their circle of people and on so forth. So I do actually believe in the power of storytelling. I don't think it gets enough credit in terms of changing culture and changing people's minds and how money is distributed and resources are distributed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm surprised you didn't realize it or truly believe in it for so long. Yeah, I I guess I needed that tangible example because, like I said, and that's where I really understood my mission of like, oh, my job is to not only make, you know, do the best I can do and, and, and be the best version of myself, but it's really unlocking the potential of others, which is the legacy. Well, here's another example that's tangible for you. I recall when I was younger, watch, I mean, huge fan, watching your stuff <laughs> for so long. And I remember one of your videos where you said, I wanted to do YouTube and my family was like, what is this YouTube thing? And you said to them, give me a year, just mm-hmm. give me a year and I'll do it. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And then with our podcast, I was kind of in a very similar boat and my family was like, what is this podcast thing? And I was like, I am going to quit my nine to five job. Give me a year because in my head I was like, releasing, ask for a year. <laughs> I think, you know, and her parents listened. So surely mine can extend the same gratitude. So I was like, give me a year. Mm-hmm. Let me just try it out. And it's just little things like that. And it's clearly worked out. But little things like that, that you don't, I guess you don't realize, but they do have impact on everyone else around them. And it's just the representation is something that we don't get a lot of. So when we do see representation in spaces like in Hollywood or or even just someone being a creative, I think that was so needed. I feel like people are starting to move away from the idea that finance and nonprofits have to be this, like like I said, like Lily's saying in like a navy color with like, I don't know, a diamond next to it as the logo. They can be these other beautiful, more impactful ways of creating money and creating change. And it's about time that starts happening because, yes, we've been used to one way or one world of, you know, creating impact or creating funds or, you know, crowdsourcing. But why has no other way been used? It's because we haven't let women into that space. It's because we haven't let minorities into that space. So when someone comes up and says, this is my fund, I'm going to use storytelling to make it work. I'm going to call it Unicorn Island Fund. I'm going to make it beautiful and exciting and make it feel like it's powerful. That's the new way of finance. And I think it's time the rest of the world kind of moves towards it. Thank you. Can I hire you? <laughs> PR for my, that's very sweet. I appreciate that. And I could not agree more. I, I could talk about storytelling all day long. It's also important to remember that together we are stronger. And the number one way, way to reach the masses is through social media. And all social media is a storytelling. That's surely all it is. And that's for my birthday campaign where I raised the initial bit of funds for Unicorn Island. That's what it was. It was me telling my story and me, you know, and my audience believing in this power. But I think it's naive to think that it's not important these days. It is. It's the number one way people communicate. It's the, if you want to get young people involved, and I think any important cause needs young people involved, you need to be on social media. It's not just social, but it is the importance of storytelling. I wanted to ask now, what are the grassroots organizations that Unicorn Island Fund has, at least at the beginning, started to invest in? Are you able to share that? Is that public information? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So I will say completely transparently that I'm just starting my journey. So I don't know all of them and I'm excited to learn about more, but there are organizations that I personally have worked with that we're excited to continue working with. So our first couple of grants went to four organizations, 
Room to Read, which I worked with a lot in India, uh, Breakthrough, Pardada Pardadi, and Magic Bus. Those are four organizations that we initially gave our grants to, 17000 each, at our Day of the Girl luncheon, which I'm really excited about. I have had the chance to work in person with Room to Read. I visited their schools in India and different parts of India, and I was just blown away by the work they were doing because, and you know what the best part of social good work is? You learn something, you learn 10 things every day. Like truly, you think you have an idea and a grasp about what the problems are and what the solutions are. And then you go on the ground and, and see the great work these organizations are doing. And you get humbled so quickly because you're like, oh, I actually know nothing. Because I thought, oh, this is cool. So they're probably teaching girls how to read. and so, No, they're teaching them how to do conflict resolution, how do workshops on confidence, public speaking, workshops about just like how to teach girls about their value, like all these amazing things that we take so for granted. So you would never think that there has to be a class about it. It's just the work is so important. And every time I go and meet the students from any of their schools, I'm blown away by the confidence of the young girls. Like so much more confident than I was at that age. So much more to say, so outspoken. It makes me so, so happy. So those are just a handful of organizations we're working with, but I'm so excited. That is absolutely amazing. And we cannot wait to see what is to come. I know a lot of our community and a lot of, I think, Gen Z and millennials in general are sort of shifting their investing styles to impactful investing or ethical investing, investing in companies that they believe in, but also in nonprofits that they believe in. There was this one sort of one lesson my dad taught me that I really sticks with me. And he goes, you know, Simran, when you make it or when you get to that place you want to get to, your next step is to make sure that you're giving back because it took a community to get you to here. It's time to give back to those communities. And so for those that are listening to Girls That Invest and listening to your absolutely amazing, inspiring story, I mean, hats off to you. Where can we learn more about Unicorn Island Fund? And more importantly, how do we donate? Well, I love these questions. Yes. Yeah, so, well, thank you, everyone, for listening. First of all, if you would like to learn more, you can go to a bunch of places. One, on Instagram, Unicorn Island, uh, unicornisland.com, or specifically, if you want to donate, unicornisland.com slash fund. But you can donate, like I said, Instagram, Facebook. You know, I'm pretty social media savvy. So if you type Unicorn Island anywhere into Google, you should find us. And you can donate right on the website as well. Like I said, I plan to be pretty transparent and you'll see the stories, you'll see the impact, you'll see it all. So um, I feel very good about this. I feel like we're going to be able to help a lot of people, but I do believe we're stronger together. And I did have a chance to look on the website when we did donate. It was such a seamless experience. Yes. I also will say that I did do the extra legwork to make sure you can donate from anywhere in the world because I think a lot of times <laughs> philanthropy can... see. The, actually, I mean, this is a very American problem, I will say. Being, let me just also say I'm Canadian, so I'm allowed to say this, but Americans tend to make things for Americans. And initially, the actual functionality was like, Americans can donate. And I was like, no, I want to make sure that we, this is a global effort. So you can donate from anywhere in the world. It is quite seamless. It is quite easy. And if you need any help, hit us up. Honestly, as a Kiwi, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again so much for listening. We will definitely be following your journey and we will put all the links in the description to donate straight. Thank you. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer, Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team. Bye.